Right. Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today, I am bringing on Jessica from Roots and Refuge Farm. Now, you might already follow along with her over on YouTube. She is sharing homestead information, gardening. She shares so many great vlogs that will really inspire you. She does garden tours and seed starting and so many tips for the upcoming season. She and her family just purchased a new farm about seven or eight months ago and they're building it just from the ground floor from scratch. So we're gonna chat about that. We're also going to talk about having a farm, even when you didn't grow up with those kind of skills, or if you didn't grow up on a farm at all, what that is like, what the transition is like into learning new things. We also talk about the economical side of it. So how can you have a homestead with all of the feed costs and the infrastructure and it not cost you anything? How can you make the things on the farm pay for that? She has some really great tips on that. I am so excited to dive in and share this conversation with you. A big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Tubes & Co. Organic Skincare. More on them a little bit later. My name is Lisa, mother of seven and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks I am really looking forward to talk to you. I love watching your YouTube channel and following along with you there. I've came across so many of your videos over the years. So they've been very helpful. I was looking through some of your most popular content because I thought maybe, you know, that's something you would specialize in and we could chat about that a little bit too. But I know that you guys moved about a year ago. Um, yeah, last August. So about seven months now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. From a smaller homestead to acreage. And at the moment you are making that into your dream farm from yes. my understanding. Yes. And so that what that's, we're currently doing. Yeah. That's a whole adventure to follow along with. So tell us a little bit about your farm and what's currently going on there. Well, like you said, we relocated. We moved from four acres in central Arkansas to 27 acres in the Midlands of South Carolina. Uh, so it was a pretty oh, big move. I didn't realize you moved. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize you moved so far. Yeah, about seven hundred mile move uh, to a very similar growing season. There, the climates are very like each other in this area, South Carolina, to where I was in Arkansas. But right now, we've spent the last eight months or so taking this raw land to being a working farm, and it looks like a farm now. It feels like a farm. We're, we definitely have a lot going on. And it's been it's been a lot of work, but right now we're really kind of breaking into a really rewarding season where we're starting yeah. to grow food again and uh, have dairy cows and just bringing a lot of food in. Where that that was a weird season going from growing most of our food to being in a place where we didn't have anything coming in from our yard. Yeah, you didn't have anything set up yeah. to actually do that. Yeah, there's always going to be that adjustment period. I guess lucky for you, it was at the end of the summer. So maybe you were able to still do a lot of gardening in your previous property. Yeah, we did. We planted everything. We kind of left right at the height of the season. So we ate fresh out of the garden last year, but obviously I didn't preserve anything because it would have just been another thing to move across the country. Um, yeah. So I missed out on like kind of the second half of the season, but I did get some of it. Um, this is the longest I've gone without a garden in my adult life. Yeah. So I'm ready to get back into it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's that time of year. Again. So for the focus of this podcast, I was thinking about talking about 
not growing up on a farm, but then wanting to make a transition toward that? Because I think a lot of people think that you have to have some background and experience, or at least they might not completely think that. But in their head, they definitely have some beliefs about that that make it hard for them to pursue something that they think, I'm not qualified to do this. Right. So did you always want to be a homesteader or how did that desire progress? Yes, I I would say I would, didn't have the language homesteader, but yeah. when I was really young, I grew up in the city, um, in, in the suburbs, I should say, in town. And I had not had a lot of access to farm life as we now know it. But I did like take horseback riding lessons and I did have a little bit of exposure. I had an uncle that like raised chickens and had a pig, you know, that they did a pig a year and all of that. And I was enamored by that. I loved animals. I loved reading books. Like some of my earliest memories were books about cows and farm cats. And that that was my fascination from literally as early as I could remember it. So anytime we got an opportunity to, you know, take some carrots up and feed the cows next door and do different things like that, that's what I loved to do. Um, I didn't actually start with that until I was an adult. And it's very daunting and overwhelming to like want to do farm life when you've had no exposure to it. Because I mean, it's as bewildering as like, space travel. You're like, you're like, what in the world? How do you do that? (laughs) It feels impossible. And so I would say that desire and something that just built up over literal decades has been a huge driving force in me figuring this out because I just wanted it for so long. Yeah. Whenever you want something, you can definitely find the information and figure out how to get there. But as far as actually getting there, so for however many years you lived on four acres, and made that into the homestead that basically you built your entire YouTube channel, your homesteading niche on, and then having the goal of of going to 27 or, you know, to go to more acreage. That's, I think, the part that people find really daunting is how do I start whenever I don't have property? Like when you started 10 years, or I don't even know, I'm just making that number mm-hmm. up. I have no clue how long ago it's you about, started. About 10 years, really. was like About 10 years ago, years, yeah. yeah. So you were on your four acre plot for 10 years or close to 10 years. Eight. Yeah. We were there for eight. Eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did it ever, did it seem very out of reach that you would ever move from it? Was that always the goal? Well, you kind of have to go back a little further. So we lived in, in the suburbs and we were in ministry and, you know, my husband was outside of the home. I stayed at home with our kids and I did photography as my side business. And I desperately wanted a farm. I wanted to grow food. I love shopping at the farmer's market. I wanted to grow. I, you know, kind of did some gardening efforts. I wasn't super successful in the early days in that. And we had no money. And so buying even a four acre property felt completely impossible. Um, It felt impossible to get started in my backyard. And I had this ideal image of this little small farm and a big garden and a chicken coop and all this stuff. And because I knew that wouldn't fit in my suburban backyard for a long time, I didn't do anything. And that made mm-hmm. me more hopeless and made me feel more helpless. And and really, there was a point that I kind of realized I have to do what I can where I am. And the thing that yeah. became the gateway for me into food sustainability was picking wild blackberries. I had a friend who um, her father-in-law had 40 acres. He was 
my pastor growing up and he said, sure, you can come pick blackberries on my, my 40. And we yeah, would go, even want them. yeah, no, they were <laughs> just, just, they were go to weeds. Yeah. I birds. mean, yeah. and so we would go out and pick gallons and gallons and gallons, of these wild blackberries, you know, be completely scraped up and sunburned. And I felt this freedom of food sustainability for the first time ever. And that was where I kind of came up with this idea, like, we have to turn our waiting room into a classroom and just learn everything we can where we are. So when we got our four acre farm, it was overwhelming, but I knew how to apply things. I knew kind of the next step. I'd learned to can, I'd learned to eat seasonally. And so for me, I just view it as graduating into the next classroom. And this 27 acre farm, again, I mean, it's, it's a big deal to lay out a whole farm. And there are moments where this feels very daunting, but it's just that next level in education. You know, kindergarten doesn't look like your junior year of college. Like those are different levels and you don't go from one to the other. There's process that gets you there. And that's kind of how it feels to me going from one stage to the next. You're just leveling up in your education and what you're learning, but you're always still learning. Yeah. And for anybody who hasn't tried all of this, it is daunting for a 27 acre farm because we only live on seven acres and we in no way have it tamed yeah. at all. There's, there's it, so much to do. And if you did get it tamed and then you didn't continue to tame it and work at it right. three years from now, it would be wild again. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it just wants to take back over. What we're living on is seven acres that used to be a farm, but has been completely neglected for at least 50 years. Wow. So whenever you look at our property line, the next place over on both sides Perfect. Yeah. Ours, it's just weeds and honeysuckle and every tree, you know, it's just very, very neglected. And so to reclaim that is going to take us plenty of time. So we don't even need to be thinking about anything further at this point. But yeah. (laughs) So was your husband always on board with this? Did he have the same vision? So we joke that when Jeremiah and I met, I call him Maya or sweet Maya, but Jeremiah, when we met that I wanted a farm and he wanted to marry me. So it was kind of the same thing. Like (laughs) that was, that was our joke. Um, Because when we first started dating, I had this dream. I mean, I'd had it forever. I wanted a farm. I wanted to raise my kids in the country. I wanted to grow my own food. I wanted to garden and raise animals and make things from scratch. And I was so passionate about it. And he actually grew up in the country and helped his mom with the garden and they raised meat chickens. It wasn't like a necessarily a way of life for them. It was just something that they did occasionally, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I think there's different approaches. And he hated it. He he was like, I never want to do that again. That was miserable. But then we started dating and he was like, well, you know, I'd be willing. And the first four years of our marriage, we were living in in town and and working and going to school and not doing anything like that. Um, I'm picking wild blackberries and shopping at the farmer's market. But when we found our property, I think he agreed to it thinking he was just going to give me what I wanted and give me the space to do what I was going to do. Right. Not necessarily seeing himself as like a big role in it. (laughs) Right. And uh, he, he definitely, he's the carpenter. He builds things and he was, he was willing in the early days to give me what I wanted But along the way, he kind of got pulled into it and found his own passions in it and found his own places to do 
different things. Like he handles a lot of the big animals and the husbandry and the building. Yeah. Whereas I'm primarily the gardener and we just have our roles. Yeah. In what we're doing. Yeah. He's, he's eased into it. He's found what he enjoys doing. Yeah. That's part of it. Yeah. We went this morning. I've got a garden manicure, got good dirt caked <laughs> yeah. in my nails. We went and um, helped some, some friends of ours put their garden in this morning, just put a couple raised beds together. And they asked him, they said, Jeremiah, are you happy to have your hands in the soil? And he said, he said, no. He said, I'm okay watching somebody else get their hands in the soil. And they said, well, do you love this? And he goes, no. He said, I don't, I don't love growing things. He said, I love eating the things Jessica grows. Yeah. So he's like, and I'm happy to help her, but that's not his, his role really. Yeah. My husband's the exact same way. It was something that I've always been really drawn to. I actually did grow up on a farm, but a different kind of farm than like the homesteaders today that you have the dairy cow and the garden. I grew up on an elk farm, which is really weird. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we had 40 acres fenced in with elk. And we also, my grandpa had cattle and it was all attached. So my dad's, you know, the place was attached with my grandpa's. So I grew up with it all, but not a dairy cow or a garden, that kind of thing. Right. And then he grew up in town. So he didn't have any background in it at all. But as, like you said, the years have progressed, he's found himself doing more and more things. And he actually finds that he enjoys it once he, you know, starts learning more about it. He's been our our milker lately. So ever since I had the baby, um, he's been milking the cow. So <laughs> never something he never thought he'd do. Maya has been primarily the milker lately. I was dealing with some health issues over the winter and he kind of took over that. And it's weird. I'd never thought that that would be the thing he'd be doing, yeah, but I know. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Same, same. I didn't think it either. Whenever I had the baby, I don't really know what I was thinking. Cause you know, obviously while I was pregnant, I knew that we have a dairy cow but I didn't know how long we would do all that. But yeah, he's still primarily doing that. I think as soon as it gets warm consistently, I'll be having the baby on my back and we'll do it together. Yeah. A little faster that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. So did you learn any skills in your childhood that would have led you to a lot of the things that you're doing now? Or was it mostly just starting to explore when you guys first got married? I've actually thought a lot about this because I'm like, what did I carry over? My mother was and is a very passionate gardener. Now she's not a food grower. Well, she grows a lot more food now than she did when I was younger. Uh, she mostly did ornamental and landscaping, but love to grow things. I joke that my mom is a seed swiper. Like she cannot walk past a dead flower head without swiping the seeds like in public <laughs> doesn't matter yeah. other people's gardens I mean she's gonna save seeds so I definitely was exposed to that a lot I don't know that I had a lot of hands-on learning but it was very normal to me and the other thing I really picked up as a as a child and a young person I had a lot of health issues when I was a kid and one of the big kind of cultures in my family was that food matters. What you eat matters. And eating healthy food leads to your body being healthy. So in the 80s, when I was a child in the early 90s, you know, all of my peers, they drank soda oh, yeah. a lot. We had they no and, connection. And that was, yeah, that was not allowed in my house because I was sick. And so we had really discovered what the connection is there. And that I think has really carried over more than anything else, even had I learned skills, um, just learning 
to be aware of what you're eating and how it affects your health and your well-being overall is probably the biggest lesson I carried over. Now, actual hands-on skills. Um, I learned to cook from scratch, from cookbooks as an adult. I learned all of this stuff, uh, you know, canning, preserving, growing from books and YouTube and blogs, you know. I was really diving into homesteading when blogs were kind of like at their peak of popularity, mm-hmm. you know, kind of before video and podcast took off. Yeah. And I I was obsessed. I, I wanted to learn everything that I possibly could. Yeah. I'd say that's how I grew up as well. I, I wouldn't say that we really had a lot of knowledge on the connection between food and health, mostly because I didn't have really any issues that would make her explore that. But... Mm-hmm. She was also the type of mom that did, you know, whenever my dad brought home an elk from an elk hunting trip, she cooked it. It's It wasn't foreign to make things from scratch. And so, yeah, yeah I think even if you didn't expressly learn exactly, like she didn't mm-hmm. say, this is how we do this. You grew up around it. And then whenever it came time, I think you have the confidence to try things. Yes. I think it, yeah, it establishes a culture. And that's something that we talk about a lot in our home is wanting to establish healthy cultures. Like I want the culture of my home to be that food heals us, that it's fuel, that we can enjoy it, but we should be mindful of it and not be a slave to it. And that's really how I was raised. And were my parents being super intentional? I don't really know. I think that they both were raised with pretty healthy food culture. And and that was just a really normal part of our home. And so learning skills is actually, I feel like, a lot easier than developing cultures in your life. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. once you have like a healthy relationship with food and you view it properly, then learning to grow it and learning to cook it it's kind of natural, but it's really hard to pursue that knowledge when you don't have a healthy relationship and a, you know, a, a really well-rounded food culture in your house. Mm, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Are there anything like you can think of specifically that you notice that people do that would maybe foster like an unhealthy relationship Unhe- toward that? Yeah. So we have a couple of rules in our house that we want to do differently. Like for instance, I'm okay if my kids don't like something. Like if I cook something and they're like, ooh, I really don't like that. Like I'm never going to sit there and say, you have to eat all of this. Now you can't go eat junk instead. You know, like I'm not, I'm not going to give you food made from scratch and vegetables we grew and ferments and all this stuff. And then have my kids turn their nose up at that and then go eat something processed like a hot pocket, you know, like I'm not going to allow that. But I can say, okay, we always say, well, will you please give it a try? And if you don't like it, we'll discuss that, you know? And the thing is, is a lot of times because there's no fear and punishment um, on not liking something or not wanting to finish something, they're willing to give it a healthy try because they're not going to be, they're not being forced into it. So that's something for us. Like there are things I don't like and I'm an adult and I'm not going to eat them if I don't like them. So I'm not going to force my kids to eat something they don't like. The other thing is like really just listening to your cues in your body, like eat when you're hungry and don't eat when you're not hungry. And that's okay. It's so funny now to see intermittent fasting and all of these different things being discussed. Like I've, I was never a breakfast eater when I was a kid. I just did not feel hungry. And I would go to school and like be forced to eat breakfast when I didn't want to 
two and I would get sick. And now people are like, don't eat until 10 o'clock. And I'm like, I wish somebody would have said that was okay when I was a child. (laughs) And so for me, it's really listening to your cues, learning to enjoy food, but not need it for comfort. That's something that's really important because ultimately I think that with our food system is so broken. And we have to think like right now, how much processed sugars and fats, obviously healthy fats are really good, but we're, we are given the option of a lot of hydrogenated oils and very unhealthy fats, often coupled with those very high levels of processed sugars. Well, biologically, we are driven as humans, as animals to store up fats and sugars. I mean, that's what we run on. And so our our bodies say, oh, give me more of that. Well, when we are being exposed to incredibly unhealthy amounts of processed sugars and unhealthy fats, and we are biologically driven to just eat more, 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 it is so important that we learn to listen to our cues and our body and eat when we're hungry and not eat when we're not hungry and try new things and not connect punishment and fear to food. Because I see so many adults who have very unhealthy relationships with food and then they deal with health issues. They deal with weight issues. And I mean, we are so not 100% perfect in this, but I am really recognizing in myself and asking myself, what's driving me to want to eat this thing? Yeah. Because I'm I'm a sugar, like I'm a sweet tooth. I have to like <laughs> get completely off sugar occasionally just to know that I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's helpful though, because I think that that culture, like you said, is so much more important than even just specifics on how to yeah, actually do something. For sure. I want to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about Tubes & Co. skincare. I am absolutely loving lately my Sea Buckthorn cleansing oil from Tubes & Co. I actually use it on my skin this morning. I just feel so dry, especially right now. We're at the end of winter. All season we've been burning wood. Everything is staticky. My skin is just feeling it. You put the sea buckthorn cleanser on and some really hot water, let it really seep in. It's like a deep moisturizing. I absolutely love it. They use all natural ingredients. So tallow from grass-fed cows, organic oils. They don't use any GMOs, fillers, toxins, all natural, wonderful skincare, really luxurious products. The tallow balm that they have, I have the frankincense balm, again, deeply moisturizing. It goes on so smooth and it actually absorbs and I find that a lot of natural type of moisturizers. They feel really great, but they're sometimes a little bit greasy and don't absorb in. This one definitely absorbs in and feels soft and velvety on my skin. Tubes & Co. is a husband and wife team, so you can feel good about supporting a small local family business that also supports small farmers. A really great relationship they have there. Since skin is the largest organ that our body has, it really is important to be mindful about the products that you use there. If you're like me, you're using them every single day. And so this is a lot of exposure to something that could have all kinds of things in them that you don't want. So I absolutely love using Tubes & Co knowing that I am nourishing my skin all with something that is non-toxic, organically grown, and beneficial for my health rather than harming it. You can get 10% off your order from Tubes & Co. It doesn't have to be your first order, but you can use this code one time, code FARMHOUSE for 10% off. That is code FARMHOUSE over at Tubes, T-O-U-P-S, and Co. So what were some of the first things that you learned back whenever you just started with 
maybe when you got married, you started out on your own. What did that timeline look like? Um, it started in the kitchen for me. Um, I had my son, Asher. Jackson was first. I was really young. And then I had Asher. Um, I was 21. So I had two little babies and Asher had a lot of food allergies. And I'd always had this dream of a farm, but it was more the lifestyle I dreamed of and romanticized, like the slow unplugged living. But it Mm -hmm. became about the food when Asher was born and he had allergies. And so I started reading labels for the first time ever. And I had to cut all dairy out of my diet, which is very, very difficult to do. But I was nursing him. And in order to do that, I could not do dairy. It was very allergic. And I started to be like, wow, dairy's in spaghetti sauce. Dairy's in like all these things I just had not even considered had dairy byproducts. And I was dumbfounded because prior to that, for me, cooking was opening cans and boxes and putting it all together. Okay. Yeah. And so I began to really realize, wow, these foods in the middle of the grocery store, all these processed foods, they've got tons of ingredients in them. And a lot of things, I don't even know what these are. So that's when I started kind of shopping the real food thing and really getting away from processed food. And then it became, well, Where's this coming from? It was just almost an awakening. And I started shopping at farmer's markets and falling in love with just real food. And so obviously the next progression was learning to grow the stuff. But in the meantime, I learned to cook from scratch. I learned to use cast iron. Um, I learned to can because I was able to get big boxes of stuff um, from people, friends who had pear trees and the blackberries and stuff like that. So then it was it was learning to process all of this. And I sort of segued from the kitchen into the garden rather than the other way around. Okay. Yeah. You know, I actually did the exact same thing. I first started becoming really interested whenever my daughter was born, just because I had this child to care for that I wanted to, you know, obviously give the best to and learning how to cook from scratch, reading labels, like you said. And then it led to the garden mostly because sourcing becomes an issue year round. So what are some of your plans, like your big plans just for the year ahead? And, And what have you accomplished so far? For those of you who haven't followed along with your journey on YouTube, I know they can obviously go over, subscribe and follow along with the rest of the year. But what, what have you done so far and what's the plan for coming up? Oh man. So I'm, I, I joke that I have no shortage of ideas. It's time that I have shortage. Oh yeah. I've, I've an idea factory. So we moved here in the end of July and into August. We got here in the end of July, but we didn't have any place to stay yet. Our house wasn't ready to move into. So we actually went up and stayed with our friends in North Carolina and we weren't actually here until August. But we brought pigs, we brought some of our goats, we brought some chickens and ducks and turkeys and our alpacas, but they're just, they're just really lawn ornaments. But um, we brought some (laughs) animals and obviously no gardens, nothing. We had to get utilities on the property. We had to do fencing. Everything was pretty much from scratch. And since we got here, we have built a barn. Um, we have now, I can't believe I'm saying this. We have five cows, cattle. We have um, two dairy cows, jerseys. We have a year old heifer. 
that was from one of the jerseys. And then we have two little heifers that are eight weeks old. One is a bottle baby orphan that I got to graft on to my cat, one of my cows. And then the other one was born to one of my cows. So yeah, we got no cattle to five <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the last several months. <laughs> you fenced in everything already too? We, most of it is fenced. Yeah. That was one of the first wow. things last summer before I actually came with the animals. My husband spent a good deal of the summer out here with our oldest son and his brother who moved here at the same time as us. And he did lots of fencing, tearing stuff down, clearing stuff out and getting ready to move the animals here. Right now, the thing that we're currently just in the throes of and the guys are out there working on right now is finishing up our greenhouse. We built a greenhouse okay. out of reclaimed windows and it's so beautiful. And they're finishing that. That should be functional by the end of this week. And we're putting up two high tunnels and we are working on lots of garden spaces. So um, that's that's really going to be the main focus right now is getting the gardens in probably for the next several months. That's what we're going to be doing is planting trees, planting perennials, berry bushes, and then also getting our annual gardens in. And we've been working on doing a lot of compost. That's been our big focus because we're growing in so much more space here that building healthy soil with what we have is really important. We can't just buy it and bring it in because it just wouldn't be economical. Yeah. How much are you gardening? How much space? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> it's about two acres. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty big space. I thought it was less than that. I thought, I think it's an acre and then I actually Google earth and, and mapped it out and it is, it's about, it's about two acres and that is including the two high tunnels. So altogether, what is that, like 80,000 square feet? Now, of course, that's including all the walkways and the drives and all that stuff. It's not actually planted that much, but yeah, it's a big wow. space. So you guys built a barn, yeah. fencing, and all of that in like seven yes. months. Yes. Yeah. It's been it's <laughs> been a lot. It has been absolutely a lot. And then also like learning to milk cows and like yeah. get into that flow. That's it's a lot of work. I mean, just processing milk every day when you mm -hmm. add up the amount of time you do with that. Like right now we're getting seven gallons of milk a day. Yeah. So are you making lots of cheese or what are you doing with a lot of yes. that? Yes. I've been doing a lot of cheese, making yogurt. Of course, we have pigs that we're growing out. Okay. And so a lot of the milk, we just bring it in and then separate and we keep the cream and then the skim goes to the pigs to, to fatten them up. Because I mean, obviously that's still using your resources yeah. to grow food. And then, so we make butter and ice cream and um, I've done cream cheese, sour cream. We've gone through a lot of products learning how to make all those. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, that just processing it's the milk a lot of is time. A, a huge job. I and mean, we don't get near that. We actually still have our calf on, even though she's yeah. eight months old. And so we get a we get about a gallon and a half a day, which yeah. is still a lot of milk for, for us. But yeah, I'm not really doing a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> the processing yeah. at this point. Yeah. If we just had a gallon and a half a day, I would not be doing nearly as much processing. We could drink. Yeah. I mean, we would drink a pretty significant amount of that with all the kids yeah. that we have. <laughs> Remind me how many kids you have. And they're all we, a little bit older, right? We have, we have six, we're blended. And so our oldest is my stepdaughter and she lives in Vegas with her mom and stepdad. She's with us all okay. summer and holidays. And then the five boys live here and oh, okay. they are, <laughs> yeah. So we, a lot of milk. Um, there's yeah. 16, 14, 10, eight and seven. 
So okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're so hungry. Uh, boys, yeah. they are very. <laughs> See, <hungry. laughs> I have five boys, but they're nine down to four months, so I'm not really yeah. there yet. Yeah, but you will be. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, we might eat yeah. another dairy cow when that yeah. comes around. Right. <laughs> so with your garden space, with gardening two acres almost, I know that that's a lot of walkways mm-hmm. and things too. Are you going to be doing any CSAs, or is that just you preserving and growing for your family? So. I understand that my situation is unusual, but I always tell people like I make my money from my garden on YouTube videos. Oh, I completely understand. Yeah. (laughs) And so right now we have three employees that work here at our house. We have some other endeavors that we're currently working on launching that are not like officially announced. I can kind of like go around them a bit, but I'll give all of the details in in coming months. But we're actually going to be opening a brick and mortar store it looks like next year. And we've already nailed a lot of stuff down. And so one of our employees is going to be transitioning to that, but two will continue to work here after we get past the building stage. And right now our, our main goal is just provide the food for our family. And then we also just give stuff to neighbors, uh, to the people who work here. I kind of view it as we have this small community and these people are people who work on what we're doing. And so I like for them to be able to benefit from it first. Eventually, I think once this is all established, it's going to be way more food than we can all eat together. Um, and hopefully at that point, we'll have some sort of presence in town where maybe we can have a little market stand or something like that. Oh, how cool is that? So yeah, yeah for, for people who live, sorry, remind me where you live again. Right outside Columbia, uh, South Carolina. So we're so if you if you live in that area, be on yeah, the lookout yeah. someday. For- it's going to be very <laughs> exciting. But yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. I get a lot of people on my channel who ask me, how do you cook like that all the time? And I'm like, you have to remember that cooking like this is my job. Right. So showing you all of this, like I've always loved to cook from scratch. Right. So, I mean, that is something I'm doing. But coming up with new ideas and recipes, this is what I do for a living. So, you know, yeah. for somebody who thinks, oh my gosh, two acres. But like you said, you do have people helping you with it. And it is your job to show your homestead. Right. And that's kind of what I explain to people. Like I've been calling it the garden belt because we're essentially planting this long strip and it it accounts about two acres that wraps around our thousand foot long driveway. And it goes all the way down the side and we're planting about 80 feet wide all the way around. And it's going to be really neat. But I tell people this isn't necessarily the most economical way to plant a garden. It might not be the most feasible if you're trying to make it efficient or whatever. But I want to show raised beds and in ground and high tunnels and yeah, all the different kinds of doing things. I want to be able to point to it and say, and this is what this looks like. And this is how this exactly. works. So yeah. I'm like, don't model after me unless it is, unless you're trying to build a big YouTube channel, in which case yeah. I think this <laughs> <Yes>. works. <laughs> but it yeah. is, it, it is hard whenever people are like, well, I don't really relate to this. And I'm like, yeah, I know we probably have different goals, but here's how you can grow a tomato. Yeah. I can teach yeah. you that. Um, right. You want to show all of the, that's like on my channel, I show this bread recipe and this where people are like, well, which one do you make daily? You know, cause obviously like I'm showing you every option possible. Right. And they sometimes forget that there's not just a camera crew following me around that 
right. to get this content out there. You know, I'm thinking through what can I present that people need to, you know, maybe learn and apply which parts of it work for them. It's a, it's a beautiful. I, I feel so thankful to get to do it. I think, I mean, what a dream life, you know, I mean, we yeah. dreamed of this literally my entire childhood and now I get to live my dream life on steroids, you know, just this right. incredible <laughs> thing. I was talking to my friend this morning about how I used to save my birthday money, uh, you know, to spend $50 or $100 and buy seeds. And now every time I go to my post office box, there's more seeds there. It's just, I'm overwhelmed even. Now the problem is how do I deal with the abundance? But to Mm -hmm. me, it's just an opportunity to bless other people. And when people are like, oh no, let me pay you. Here's $3 for these eggs. I'm like, really? I already got paid for these eggs because I showed collecting them. And so (laughs) you just enjoy them. I don't need the $3. You know, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I totally know what you're saying. I feel the same way giving, we give milk to a couple of families Mm -hmm. because even a gallon and a half, like we, we average probably like three quarters of a gallon a day is probably what we actually consume. And so then we have milk for people like, can I pay you? I'm like, just like you said, I'm like, oh no, don't worry. Yeah. Just take it. And it's nice. It's just, yeah, it it it, it makes sense in our, in our situation. So yeah, I completely understand. So what are your plans for the years ahead? We've, You've kind of talked out like what you're doing this year. What can people expect to see on your farms in years from now? Or do you think that far ahead? Oh, I definitely do. I'm like one of those people that (laughs) just lives with a 10-year vision. Um, So (laughs) we actually have like this really big dream and we've had it for years and now it feels very feasible, but we've had it since it was an impossible dream. Um, But our our longer term plan and I say my five-year plan, I don't know exactly how long it'll take because I I just don't know. I've never done this before, but I'd like to get a hundred acres, not here where I live, but very, you know, nearby. And I would like to build a learning center, essentially a regenerative farm where people can come and do internships or they can come and do classes on Thursday night, or they can come Mm. and just tour and buy groceries and eat in a restaurant and just have a place that is a hub of sorts for learning to grow food, for building community, or just a resource to buy locally sourced food here for the area. That has been my dream for years now before I even had a YouTube channel. That was really like my big Mm. long-term dream. Of course, at the time I was like, man, that's going to cost a lot of money and take a lot (laughs) that I don't have and knowledge I don't have. But now, I mean, it's like, okay, I can see that being possible. It's not possible right now, but I can see that we're on the trajectory towards that being a possibility. So that's like down the line. And that's something I dream about. Our more immediate plans is we want to start a brick and mortar mercantile where we can kind of use it as a precursor to that, like an early place to do classes and have supplies and and be a meeting place of sorts where we can do events and meet with people. I love coffee. I'm passionate about coffee and also supporting ethically grown coffee and not taking advantage of people who are vulnerable in places that they're often taken advantage of in farming. Um, so I, I really would love to to roast coffee. That's something that's that's kind of on the list and create like a coffee house and a place of community in conjunction with that mercantile. Um, so that's kind of like a more immediate plan and something that we're going to work to. And I see that as being like the forerunner to that big place that we want down the road. Now we have to build our farm first because this right. is how, like we said, this is our job. And so 
that has been our most urgent focus is working on this farm and getting all of our infrastructure in place and getting where we can grow our family's food and have content and teach people how to do that. So right now I feel like we have this big dream and we're sort of working backwards from it to get to it. Yeah. So that's why like people are like, man, you've gotten a lot done, but we really are wanting to get all of this done really fast so we can get on to the things that we're really excited about. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I completely understand a lot of that stuff. If you were to do it completely yourself for a lot of families, that amount of work to set up a 35 or whatever, I forget what you said, around 40 acre farm. 27. 27. Yeah, 27 acres here. Yeah. Yeah. Would take just years, years to to accomplish. But yeah, like you said, working towards a bigger goal and plus taking your viewers along with it is, I could see the, I can see the trajectory that you're talking about. So one of the most popular posts on your YouTube channel is making money on a homestead. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I think sometimes people are wondering, you know, like you said, you're getting paid to show gathering the eggs. Is there an economical mm-hmm. side to starting a lot of this, a lot of the infrastructure? If you're not planning on sharing it on YouTube yeah. or a blog, how would you approach that? What are some of the, maybe like the suggestions you would have on that? Yeah. So I actually love talking about this um, because when we started with our dream of homesteading, we were incredibly broke and we found a foreclosure. Um, We'd gotten just out of debt almost entirely as far as like not having expensive payments and all of that. We had a little bit that had remained. We weren't all, all the way out of debt, but we had cut down our need of income very largely. And for me, when we first got started, it was, I can do anything as long as I can make it pay for itself. So Mm -hmm. I could have dairy animals, but I wanted to make sure like my goats that I bred them well enough that I could sell the kids for enough that I could offset the feed cost for the year for the dough so I could have milk. Yeah. Like, for instance, I wanted to have chicks. I wanted to have chickens. And I would go onto hatcheries at like the end of the season whenever they were clearing out the chicks and they were like a dollar each. And so we would get a lot of them and then we would raise them and then sell them as started pullets for people who want to get chickens right at the point of lay. They don't want to deal with chicks. And so we did stuff like that. Okay, well, if I can get enough to sell this part, I can make enough profit to cover the part that I want to keep. And that's kind of what that video, that very popular video I have on YouTube is about. It's like, how do you do the hustle? How can you think, what can I do to make this pay for itself? As far as making a small farm profitable, outside of obviously intellectual content and teaching and stuff like that, I've never gotten into like the marketing side of things. I did the farmer's market for a little while, but never enough for it to be like a full-time job. It was just on the scale of making it pay for itself. But for a lot of people, yeah, yeah, for a lot of people, I think that that's enough. That if you have another job that you're doing to pay the insurance and and the bills and, and the mortgage, that you can do the homesteading thing and just be resourceful enough to make it pay for itself. So it's not a bill. Um, so your feed bill isn't coming out of your family budget. It's coming out of the account that all of the farm income goes into and covers itself. Yeah. I like some of your ideas too, because they're not, I think the first thing people think is, you know, 
lay eggs and sell them, milk out the milk and sell the milk. But you're thinking more along the lines of like, how do we breed these goats to actually make the kids pay for the feed? And how do we raise up the pullet so that people will buy them for $17 a pop versus, you know, because I think those are some of the creative ideas that people need to be able to cover. Because a lot of this homesteading stuff, like we're talking about infrastructure and feed, it, it can be expensive. And so making it pay for itself is something that people need to know before they even consider starting it. Well, I think a lot of people quit because they hop in and they don't know how much it's going to cost. They don't know that these things are going to add up and that just feed bills can get really mm-hmm. crazy. And a lot of people think I'm going to grow my own food so I don't have to go to the grocery store. And then they spend more at the yeah. <laughs> feed store than they ever spent at the grocery store. One of the things that I, that video that I touched on that I think is a really great example of like being resourceful. If you get laying hens and you sell their eggs, let's say you have a really good market and you can sell those eggs for $5 a dozen, which is, you know, that's a pretty good market. Some people will scoff at that. Some, you know, depends on where you live, really. I wouldn't. Being a farmer, I would not. Yeah. So you say you sell them for $5 a dozen. Awesome. You've got, you know, let's say you have 25 chickens. So you're getting a couple dozen a day. You're getting $10 a day. Then you're, you know, like you're getting $70 a week in egg costs. But you have a family, you want to eat some of the eggs, and then you think about the feed, and you're like, okay, if I sell eggs, I can pay for my chicken's feed, and essentially I can eat the eggs I'm going to eat for free, okay? But what if you had chickens that laid really colorful eggs, like that had blue and green and dark brown shells? Well, you could go to a specialty market then, and you might even be able to sell those for 6 or $7 a dozen. But if you had the ability to hatch those eggs, you could sell chicks that lay colorful eggs to other one of, you know, homesteaders, people who want to have chickens in their backyard. And then people are willing to pay maybe four or five dollars a chick, like for if you have like the really good dark colors or Mm -hmm. at least a couple dollars a chick. So then that 12 dozen eggs just turned into $24 if you're selling them for $2 each. And then, well, Mm -hmm. what if you really work on those lines and you get those eggs like you see on Instagram that are like deep (laughs) olive or deep chocolate? Well, then you can sell those hatching eggs with those deep, deep colors. I mean, I've paid $100 a dozen for hatching eggs for those really awesome colors. I've paid quite a bit too. Yeah. I have to admit last year I paid a lot. People are like, where'd you get those colors? I'm like, oh, you got to pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And yeah. they are expensive, but yeah. but you can do that. You can build a yeah. brand. And so you just went from, now you've got to put more investment in time. You've got to buy some really good eggs. You've got to work on it. But on one hand, you're like, eh, I'll sell some extra eggs and cover feed costs. And then on the other hand, you put a little more in the front end. Well, now your dozen eggs is worth $100. Mm-hmm. And that's a massive difference. And so that's the difference between making your farm pay for itself and building a business with your farm. Yeah. Is what's the investment? What are you going to do to learn the market? What are you going to do to get something that people want and create that? And whether that's a YouTube channel or egg lines, or breeding lines in your goats, or you're going to build a really great brand at the farmer's market and be the person who has the best carrot cake that everybody's got to go try. You know, if you're going to make a business, it's going to take building a business. And that's the same with your farm. Yeah. And I, I, I'm i very much an entrepreneur. So for me, that's always possible. Like anything you right. do, you can think, how do I become the best at this? Yep. How do I make set set it apart to where I'm not just 
doing like the first thing that comes to mind, but I'm actually strategically thinking a little bit deeper about this. Yeah, I love those ideas. We will definitely leave in the show notes that video so people can check it out. Also, just follow along with Jess and her family as they continue to build out this farm from scratch. I think it's very inspiring. I've been loving following along with it since you announced your purchase last summer. So exciting to see what you guys are doing with it. I see that you have a big vision for it. So yes, the bigger, the better to follow along with for us. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. I just wanted to talk to Jess forever. She has such a huge vision. Just even entrepreneurial things would be fun to talk to her about forever. My favorite part of having this podcast is getting to sit for 45 minutes and talk to people that I wouldn't otherwise get to know very well. And now I'm all in. Now I need to see everything she does all summer, what their family accomplishes over the next several years. I encourage you to do the same. Head over to YouTube and give Roots in Refuge Farm a subscription, a subscribe, a follow, and go and see what all they have to offer. And what you can learn from her is going to be amazing this summer with gardening. I know I'm excited to follow along. Also, make sure to head over to tubesandco.com, use the code FARMHOUSE to get 10% off your order of organic skincare. They also have makeup, which I'm really excited to try. I've been loving all of their skincare products to keep my skin moisturized and clean. Their charcoal bar has been amazing to rid my skin of all of the makeup and debris throughout the day. Deeply moisturize it with that sea buckthorn oil. I have been loving it. So make sure to go check them out using the code farmhouse at tubesandco.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Live podcast.